Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 77 with our guest, Seiku Gathers. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the studio. You are tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is, get this, a writer, a film director, an actor, a music producer, and, wait for it, an emergency room physician. (laughs) That's right. Born and raised in New York City, Dr. Seiku Gathers is fascination with creativity in all its forms began at an early age. Thought of by family as the strange kid, I could relate to that, he would have often be seen walking around carrying a small keyboard, creating songs and singing out loud to himself. As an adolescent, he ded- his dedication to classical music led his acceptance into LaGuardia High School, which you know was made famous by the movie and television show Fame, but he ultimately decided to forego a life as a classical violinist to pursue medicine. Several years ago, after surmounting a myriad of personal challenges, I imagine we'll get into some of those, (laughs) and reach for a new form of expression, Dr. Gathers began to study acting at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute, I know that place very well, (laughs) which led to a new interest in filmmaking. In 2015, he wrote, directed, and acted in the film Them, a dramatic short which tackled the issue of sexual assault in schools. The film received prominent placement in the 2016 Chelsea Film Festival. In his latest synthesis as an author and media personality, Seiku Gathers has distilled his recipe for overcoming adversity to achieve success and fulfillment into a formula to help anyone face any challenging life situation. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Seiku Gathers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it, appreciate it. When you read all that stuff off, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I did do all that. I know. It, it's interesting <laughs> hearing your credits read right back to you, isn't it? Yes. Uh, one one note, it's, uh, it's a typo on, on the website, <laughs> which has been um, corrected, but it was, um, I, I, I play the viola. 
it was not the violin, the viola. Okay, now yeah. um, you know, uh, let's <laughs> let's talk let's talk ignorance for a minute because yeah, you know yeah. not everybody is familiar with the difference. You okay. know, let's go down that route. So you have a you have a violin and yep. a viola. Do yep. they look the same? What is the difference? They look the same. Um, they're played the same. The viola is a, a fifth. Uh, and uh, not really an octave, but a fifth down. Right. Um, it, in sound timbre, it's between a, a violin and a cello. So if you know, you know what a cello sounds like. You know what a violin sounds. Oh, like. don't we all? You know, it's sort of in the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's awesome. So you yeah. played the viola. I did. And you're an ER doctor. So I'm reading your uh, I'm reading your bio and learning as much as I can about you, and so much I can relate to because you know I spent a great deal of time in that acting and film world. So I'm reading it and I'm like, yes, yes, brother. I get it. Go there. Lee Strasberg. (laughs) It makes sense. Oh, the Chelsea Film Festival. I've applied. Yes, I get it. (laughs) I love it all. But then you take the root of, I don't know, surgeon, doctor, medicine. Mm -hmm. That's where my path stops. (laughs) I mean, I have the creative, but um, I I didn't go that route. Where in the world did those two worlds collide and cross paths for you? How does one go from one to the other? Well, you know, you got to realize that uh, medicine is an art. You know, people don't really realize that. Wow. that's why they call it the art and practice of medicine, because there's a, there's an art to it. Um, I, I'll go back to junior high school. The, the reason I kind of got into medicine in the first place is because I really like science, and I really I always love science, and because science explains things, right? You know, what's water? You know, water's from oh, we got these two hydrogen, this hydrogen atom and these two oxygen atoms. Oh, okay, so that's how we get water. Mm, interesting. Oh, you add another oxygen onto it, you get hydrogen peroxide. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, you have this table of periodic elements. Oh, wow, the whole world is all the stuff. Everything in this world is is basically created from you know one of these things or a combination of these things in this list. Wow, that's kind of cool. So you know, as someone who you know you grow up and you're kind of always describe it as you're a young kid and you're growing up and you're learning the world and things seem, you know, kind of confusing and you got all these big adults who seem to know more than you, but you have this, this subject that explains everything. It's like, Hmm. Oh, that's it. Photosynthesis. Oh, that's how plants eat. Oh, this is, this is cool. So I was always good in science. Always loved science. Um, truth be told, when I went to college after leaving LaGuardia, um, you know, I went to a historically black college university, Morgan state university and it was a part of me, you know, and we talked about it in the last the last segment that, you know, caring what people thought. And I'm like, I'm going to go on this black campus with my viola. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work too well. Um, and I just kind of let it ride for a minute. But, you know, the minute that I got when, when I finished college and I got into medical school, once I graduated medical school, I got back into music. I, you know, I actually had a first of all I had a salary so I could actually like buy buy some equipment and I started buying a little like I bought a little keyboard I bought you know like a little sequence and I start like making songs and, and, and really getting into music production so it, the creativity never left me um, when I was in college I was introduced to writing um, by a good a good friend of mine who actually I didn't want to write he told me you know, why don't you write for the school newspaper? And I was like, eh, I don't really feel like doing it. And he really, really pushed me, but it made me realize, oh, wow, like this is an actual gift that I have to write. And it was something that was sort of untapped. I didn't realize that this was a gift that I 
that I had and have, and I still use it today with, you know, writing screenplays and so forth. So I, I guess to answer your question, um, the creativity never left me. Um, medicine in itself, like there's a large percentage of what I do, particularly in the emergency department, um, where, yes, you know, I'm listening to the person's symptoms and trying to figure out what's the best course of treatment. But ultimately, I'm really getting a, a sense of what's going on with them. Like, are they really sick? You know, are they really sick or are they not really sick? And that's not a textbook. That's not facts. That's that's energy. That's 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 a feeling. It's something similar to when when you're going on stage and you're doing a great performance. What makes a great performance, uh, a great stage performance separate from a bad stage performance? Whether or not the audience can feel you, period. You know, particularly in, in film where, you know, at least on stage, it's kind of like you're sharing the same air and the same, you know, view, view space as, as, the, as the actor. The actor can see you, you can see the actor. In film and television, you have to transmit that through a lens, right, through some electronic circuitry and then out the other side. <laughs> and, and it has to, the, 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 the emotion and the energy has to connect with the viewer. And so that ability to do that is very similar in medicine, at least for me it, it is, where, you know, there's that, that human, the human, uh, the human connection that you have with, you know, with, with, with your patient. And um, to me, that's creativity. I absolutely love how you connected that between the in, in the emergency room talking to a patient. I want to go down that road a little further where you said that you, first of all, I love that you brought creativity to, to medicine. Yeah. Is, I, I, I feel that even in my world, which is not the medicine world, obviously, I feel like people shy away from creativity and, and, and embracing their creativity and feeling creative. I always argue the point that whether you realize it for yourself or not, we are all every bit creative. If yeah. you're resisting it or ignoring it, that's a whole separate thing. But there are so many times in our day-to-day -day where we exhibit creativity and we don't identify it as that. But I think, I, I think that it benefits everybody for each of us to embrace and utilize our own creativity. Is that, is that prominent in medicine or should it be more prominent or is it is it on the sidelines how does where does creativity fall do you think it probably is not prominent but it should be it could be um do i know physicians who use their creativity definitely um but i think the the large majority large majority don't you know they tend to focus on sort of the left brain the the very the the, the um gonna say this analytical um, yeah the, the, the analytical side um the facts the figures the data what did you mean by looking at a patient and hearing the symptoms and trying to figure out are they sick or are they not really sick because it's is there's a sense you get it's almost like when you're performing with another actor um they're giving you something and you're giving them something back hopefully if if if, if it's a healthy exchange and the same thing when I walk in a room and I say, you know, hi, my name is Dr. Gathers. What's going on today? The way they respond, the, the words that they say, there's just, I can't, I mean, listen, I've been doing this since basically 2002. And so over time, you just develop that, that sense that it's not, it's not intellectual. You develop that sense of particularly important in the emergency department. Is this person sick? 
right? Because if the person is sick, that takes you down a whole other cascade of things you need to do versus they're they're not really sick or they think they're sicker than they are. This is this is not chest pain. This is an anxiety attack, right? Been there. Um, this is not real abdominal pain. This is somebody that's seeking narcotic medication. Yeah. So those things you get over time. Am I ever wrong? Very rarely. But, you know, most of the time I'm pretty spot on with because the other thing that helps you is I usually have a medical electronic medical record. I can look back. Oh, this person's like I get a sense from in the room. Eh, this doesn't seem like this is something not right here. Then I go look in the medical record. Oh, this person's been here 25 times for the same thing. OK, this is nothing. Discharge. You, you, see, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, Versus, oh, this person's never been here. Hmm, they're young. Hmm, they don't, they, they don't take many medications. They, just some, they don't really, something about it doesn't, doesn't seem right to me. All right, so let me do the, the, the whole workup. So then I'll go and I'll do all the blood work, do all the testing. Oh, okay, yeah, this is why. There's something actually wrong with this person. I love everything that we read and everything you stand for. How do you identify who is... Dr. Seku gathers today. How do I identify? What do you mean? How do I identify it? Well, just that question. Who is Dr. Gathers? Well, I would. Then, if you ask me that, then I would say, who is Sekulio Gathers? I would even take the doctor out of it. Go ahead. Because I'm not my profession. Mm-hmm. I am me. <laughs> you Go know ahead. what I mean? When I'm outside of the hospital and I'm not taking care of people, I'm Sekulio Gathers. Who is Sekulio Gathers? He is a creative force that's who he is Mm. he's a writer he's a producer he's an actor he makes music you know he's a podcast host um he's a creative force i love it that's that's what he is i love to um connect all these dots take us back to the very beginning if you would what was life like growing up for say coolio um, life was interesting. I had, you know, my parents divorced when I was 15. Um, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Brownsville, um, Brooklyn. And then when my parents divorced, I moved with my mom to Bed-Stuy. My dad is, you know, very strict, strict disciplinarian, typical strict disciplinarian, also works in education. My dad and my mom both work in education. And my mom is more like, you know, kind of very artistic and kind of spiritual. She's also a teacher. So she taught me a lot. Um, so I sort of gotten good things from the both of them. Um, they say that when you're a child, uh, your parents teach you what to do and what not to do as a parent, right? So there, there are definitely things that, you know, some of the ways that my dad was with me and my mom was with me that I wouldn't, wouldn't do to my kids. Um, but there are a lot of things that, that they did do that was great that, I, that I'm going to do, you know, for my kids. So... Um, yeah, I think it was it was, you know, I had I had some I had some interesting experiences, but overall, I think uh it was what I needed. What were you telling me about um the the lifestyle you were living inside your house? Oh, right. <laughs> I'm saying that like, you know, both my parents were educators and, you know, I don't know what their salaries were, but, you know, they in terms of income, we lived a middle-class sort of existence in terms of the things that I had and what we had inside the house, but outside the house like Brownsville is, is very is more like lower, you know, socioeconomic class. The projects were two two blocks over. We had a lot of like, you know, in low income housing on my block. Um, I saw 
you know, like crack vials outside of my house, so just like on the floor, especially because I was born in 76. So when I was 10, it was, I guess it was 86. So just like, you know, top of the crack era in the 80s. Um, I saw violence, you know, outside of my house. I saw, you know, man, uh, older man just just beating this woman, just viciously beating this woman in the middle of the street, um, smashed over the head with a vodka bottle and just kicked, just kicked. It was terrible. And I remember just breaking down and crying to my mom, like, you know, why is this, <laughs> why is this happening? So it's an interesting dynamic because we didn't need to live there. But my dad, you know, he, he didn't want to move. <laughs> He's like, I'm fine living here. How did you... How did you, at that young age, process that? I didn't process it. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't process it. I just, I didn't know anything different. It's the only place I ever lived, you know, up to that point. Um, in terms of the beating, I mean, I just thought that was wrong. And, um, yeah, it, it was interesting because I lived there, but, like, my, psychologically, it's like, I really focused on what was going on, on the inside of my house. And then every summer, my parents sent me away. I was in Florida or somewhere else, so I never really spent time on the block. Like, I played outside sometimes, but for the most part, they kept me off the block. What were you doing in terms of music? Was that into your world right now? Yeah, yeah, because I, I have an uncle, um, Uncle Azel, shout out. Uh, he, work, <laughs> he actually works at B&H now. But he was, like, always my, like, musical... Uh, mentor um he had like a recording studio ever since i could remember since i was little and i would go over there and just be amazed i would look at he had all these racks of keyboards and sequences and all this crazy equipment reel to reels and he'd be in there making music and um my first like piece of musical instrument was something he gave me it was like this little sampling keyboard that that was what i ref referenced in the what was referenced in my bio that i would like play little songs on it was like a little casio but you could play songs on, but then you can also sample. I had like two seconds of sample time. It was great. It was great. And um, so I knew that I wanted to do that. Like I always, like I want to grow up and get my own studio. That was my, that was always my thing. You know, grow, uh, when I was a kid, I want to grow up and get my own studio. Can't wait. Can't wait. And you. Now I have my own studio. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Look how that happens. So now you're um, you're you're growing up into a uh, a young teen. Yeah. What was your what was your life like surrounded by then? Um, I was going to, well at that time. So fifteen parents divorced. I was in high school. I was going to LaGuardia. But even and before that, you you had to audition and get into LaGuardia. How, how did that transition go? Yeah. Um, oh, that's right, <laughs> Mr. Greenspan. <laughs> so uh, we talked about this before. So. I had to audition for LaGuardia. I was like maybe 11 or 12. Music? And music. Um, the viola. I was playing the viola. Wow. And I had to, um, I had been taking lessons. My parents had put me in lessons. I'd been taking lessons for like probably two years before I actually auditioned. And um, I just remember when it was time for me to audition, my um, music teacher, because I was in the, in the orchestra in junior high school, said to me, oh, um, why are you applying to LaGuardia? You'll never get in. Like what, you know, what? Well, why are you doing this? And I just, I just remember thinking, like, why is this guy being so negative? Like, screw you, you know? So, uh, wait for it. When I got in, <laughs> <laughs> I laminated. This was back in the days when you had laminate, laminating machines. I laminated the letter and took Did it to him and laid it on his desk and didn't say a word. I just sat down. And I just remember the look on his face. And he picked it up. He kind of looked at it and, like, 
grumble delivered or whatever he was saying. Oh, nice job, nice job. And in my head, I was like, you know, like whatever. See, it's you know. interesting because um, if <laughs> if I was in that situation, and I'm sure I've been in a similar version of that, and somebody said something, I yeah. would have just crumbled and cried in the corner mm. and gone on my way. Yeah. But there was something in you that that took the different approach. You were like, oh no, 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 this is going to work out in my favor. Well, first of all, you know, I had been. I had been doing lessons, right? I've been doing private lessons for two years. I had some had skill and support. Plus, my mom went to the school, so you oh, know, she did. My mom went to this, the high school in the seventies, so she LaGuardia. went to performing arts. Yeah, well, it, it, it's yeah. Laguardia now. In the seventies, it was two separate schools: performing arts and music and art, and they put them together. What did she go for? She was a singer. She went for singing. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I had that back that background, and then. Um, and then I also had a cousin who had gone there in like the 80s. So there was some, you know, some familiarity with it where I knew it was within the realm of possibility. Wow. Right. But even if I didn't know anybody, like you're supposed to be a teacher, a mentor, someone that's, you know, uh, a positive influence. And you're telling me why even try out for it. Now that I think back on it, I'm like, I wanted this dude apply and didn't get in. <laughs> you know, like, why was he hating so much? Like, it's, it, it doesn't matter. So. Anyway, um, he, uh, yeah, he, he was, so yeah. And I think, I mean, to your point, I did have a reference, but I think I've always sort of been that fighter where it's kind of like, oh, you think I can do it? All right, I'm going to show you. I think that that was in me from a, a young age. What kind of a, uh, what kind of a kid were you growing up? Were, were you a confidence cocky no, kid? No, I was, I was insecure, quiet, were you? sensitive. Really? Yeah. Because now you seem to have reversed that, and you got an air of <laughs> well, you got an air of confidence, right? Well, of um, security. Well, I'll say this: yeah. uh, nothing in life is free. Go ahead. So whatever you see now, I paid for it. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> well, listen. Life teaches you a lot of lessons, you know, and you either have to, you know, shit or get off the pot. So. You know, coming, going through uh, college, I was married before getting married, then going through a divorce. And, you know, I, I had a very, um, I had some medical situations. I was myself, like, in a kind of a dire medical situation for a few years, mm -hmm. then married again. So all of those things sort of led me up to where I am now, where it's, you know, I'm more of like, kind of like an ambassador for the truth. I love that. And we're going to get yeah. to your your podcast, which is called The Truth Prescription, right. which um, right before, side note, right before recording this very episode, which we are sitting face to face in, um, you had me on that show as a guest. That's right. TTP. The <laughs> Truth Prescription. Uh, so we're going to get all to uh, all to that because I know there's so much to talk about there. Um, you, you... You have a book that is is potentially on its way, but the title <laughs> is "From Victim to Victor." Talk to me about the victim part, because again, it, with, with how and when did that show up in your life? Well, I think um, there were several there were several things. Um, when I was, I don't know, maybe around six or seven, um, there was a. a there were two separate instances where I was sexually assaulted by uh, a teacher and a neighbor. 
So that kind of started off the whole victim cascade. Wow. Um, there was a lot of my first marriage. There was a lot of um, victimology, um, emotional uh, and otherwise, and um, real or perceived, right? But we kind of talked about it on the last show where when that's your that's the program inside of your computer, then you then go venture out into the world and attract folks in situations that will um, uh, promote what you're thinking, right? It will justify your your thoughts. So dealing with that, I had, you know, sort of on the tail end of the marriage, I got into some business dealings with, uh, you know, where I was victimized, you know, again, perception versus reality, but I gave someone a large sum of money and basically got scammed, right? So that was that situation. And then things started to turn around. I got divorced. Um, I was dating a little bit. I met my, my now current wife. And I just got really clear about um, who I was really and um, what I wanted. And I think that was the, 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 the victim, the transition from victim to sort of victor. And, and when I say victor, it's not like, you know, I'm standing on a rock with my hand raised in the air, but it's victory in terms of, really guiding my life sort of how I see I should it should be guided and not based on sort of uh, externalities what people say think or what I think they would want me to do more so living from from the heart imagine that yeah so now you went to you graduated high school mm-hmm. and now you go you go right into college yeah what, what were you going for did you want to biology pre- so you didn't see or or directly pursue a career in music? I didn't. I, I told when I remember it like it was yesterday. I was me and my dad and my mom was sitting in a circle, had all the you know, I had got accepted to maybe five schools, had them all stacked up. And I was like, Yeah, guys, um, I wanna go to audio engineering school <laughs> after co- after high school. I don't wanna go to college. And, you know, both my parents <laughs> who are college educated were like yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> you're going to so, college. So, uh, which one of these schools? Do we, let's let's start this meeting because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you speaking Spanish over there? Audio engineering don't make sense. Well, they, you know, that was I wanted to do audio engineering. I want to do music production, audio engineering. But I I knew that like if I was a good audio engineer, that would get me access to studios, and then I could work, make some money, but then have access to like real studios. So I even mm. I interned at a studio for a little bit. Yeah, Brielle Studios downtown. But anyway, so how did the conversation in the circle end up? You picked one of the five. Well, yeah, they just basically just said pick a card. Yeah, I mean, well, not that didn't even go that well because <laughs> the school that I wanted to go to, <laughs> they were like, yeah, not so much. <laughs> we got we we think you'd be better if you go to this school, but you know that's that's part of being being parent. That's part of being. A, what was that debate? Were they reaching higher for you, or what was the difference? Uh, one school was closer. One school was in Atlanta. The other okay. one was in Baltimore. Okay. I ended up going to school at Morgan State University in Baltimore, okay. which was a great choice. Imagine I mean, that. Yeah, it was a great choice. Yeah. Um, my cousin was there. I ended up getting, um, after my first year, because of my grades, I ended up getting a full tuition scholarship for the rest of my time there. And so it worked out. It was, it, you know, if I went down to Atlanta, my life would be completely different. Wow. So Biology sounds like a smart major. Yeah. Yeah. I like biology. Again, I like that's, science. Yeah, that's yeah. what you were saying. So yeah. what, what did you have your eye on? Like, so, did, did you know or you're like, oh, I'll figure it out on the other side? I pretty much knew I wanted to be a doctor like from when I was like eight or nine. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
Pretty much, yeah. I remember one day my dad, just he just said to me, like, you know, you'd make a good doctor. He just said it to me out of the blue one time, and I was like, hmm, okay. And I knew I already liked science, so wow. I went to college with that in mind. That's amazing. Yeah. My wife today <clears throat> always tries to, you know, my, my daughter's five, but she's always like, almost like whispering in her ear, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. And I'm like, let her be what she wants to be. No, you're going to be a doctor. Yeah. She'll, she'll, she'll be what she's supposed to be. You think? Healthcare is, 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 is changing a lot. So oh. I don't know that, uh, that medicine is like the, really, you know, what, it's not what it was 10 years ago. I can tell you that for mm, sure. What do we need to know? <laughs> No, it's just the insurance companies, insurance companies and um, non-medical professionals have basically taken over medicine. And so it makes it a lot more difficult for physicians to care for patients and reversely for patients to get good care. I know you have um, you have your hands in a lot or, yeah. or, or, or a variety of ventures. Yeah. Are you do you see yourself going the medicine route for eternity? No, none, definitely not. No. Yeah, I mean, the last, uh, you, you talked about it, let's see, I'm 42. The next 42 years, you know, my, my thing is just, I want to I be focused in doing, in creativity every day, whatever that is. If it's writing, if it's doing this, if it's making films, if it's, you know, writing more books, yeah. whatever it is, that's what I want to, that, that's, what, that's what my focus is going to be. So I'll be transitioning out um, of the hospital in terms of having to be there every day. I may have some business things going on. I think we talked about I have a medical device that I've been working on, but that's passive income. So, hmm. you know, things that, you know, as long as I can maintain um, my lifestyle and take care of my family, take care of myself, my goal is just to be doing, be, be, be you know, a creative icon. That's it. It seems like you're there. It seems like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Well, I'm, it, I'm not there yet. Cause I'm I, still, there's a, still a significant amount of my time that I spend, you know, physically doing medicine, not in the emergency department as much anymore, but I have the clinic that I've been working in. I'm doing some other things in medicine, but I physically have to be there. Hmm. And so that takes a, away from time for me physically being in front of my computer writing or, you know, working with an actor or, you know, in an editing session wow. or a meeting with, uh, you know, a director or whatever. Yeah. One of the, one of your um, creative forces is the podcast of yours. We were talking about the yep. truth prescription, right. which um, thank you for, uh, for hosting me. Absolutely. So cool. Um, what, why, what is it about the truth within? And it seems like more often than not, we lie to ourselves. Yes. What have you discovered? Why do we do such a thing? Because the truth is uncomfortable. Uh um we don't it it just it just it's uncomfortable um we don't like it it it's make it's it ends up changing it ends up causing a paradigm shift that we may or may not like right if you're living this lie that i'm wearing a yellow shirt for 10 years but you're actually wearing a white shirt like that could throw your whole everything off It, it could really turn your world upside down if you let it Right. That's why I say the truth will set you free if you let it, because it's very freeing. And I found it's very freeing in those moments when I really had to say, like, bro, like you were dead wrong there. Or, bro, like you've got a problem with, you know, allowing other people to control how you make decisions 
or bro, you're really insecure in this area. Like those are some of the most, some those are some of the most greatest times for me in my life. That and that's why I created the show because I felt like there wasn't another show out there that really focused on the truth and how it's a barrier to success. Because it is when you deal with it again, whether you're purposely ignoring it or you're not aware. Once you become aware and you actually are able to to deal with it, sit with it, write about it, have a you know. Do, do, deal with it in therapy however you you deal with it but once you're able to accept it a door opens and and now you're on to the next thing and that's why you know that's why it's so potent yeah the one thing you said that just stands out glaringly is the the truth is a barrier for success oh big time and i i experienced that yeah. all my life for yeah. years because uh, while not allowing the truth to show itself it was hitting hitting the wall over and over again mm. there was no success yeah 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 no mm. it's yeah so i've been having a lot of fun doing it I've, I've i've met some great people and um i think i get so great the thing that i love is when i see either see people in the street or people just text me that i know personally it's like man that episode was fantastic like i really learned a lot from that person and i'm going to apply these principles and i mean that's that's what really feels good they have to be ready though, right? There's that element until they are personally ready. Yes, that's with anything. If you're not if you're not ready, then you're not ready. <laughs> I know. And there's nothing you anybody know. can do or say that's going to um up that for you, right? The 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 fact that it's kind of like um being in church, right? You may not be able to be Jesus tomorrow. But the fact that you're sitting in that chair, you're on your way. So the same thing with the podcast, the very fact that you have these earbuds in your ear and you're listening to this message, you're already on your way. You may not be ready to make the change, but you're on the road to getting there. And that's that's all you can ask for. And do you think it comes also down to people want instant gratification? Is there is that an element of anything? Because this does well, take time. It takes time. Right? I, 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 you may have a point there, Josh. You may have a point. Um, I just know these things, these things take, take a lot of time and effort and awareness. We talked about this awareness. Um, a therapist is very helpful if, uh, if, you know, if people can do that, but if not, you know, there are plenty of books out there, my podcast, um, there, there are plenty of resources for, for folk, um, that want to work on this stuff, but it's a daily thing. It's not, you know, do something one day and then two weeks later do it again. It's a it's a daily thing, a sustained effort. And everybody doesn't doesn't know how to do a sustained effort. You know, um, my I'm, I was lucky enough to to to, to do medical school um, where particularly the last two years, it's a grind and it's a sustained effort like. You know, you do a two month rotation where like my surgery rotation was was two months. I was getting up before 30 a.m., getting home at like eight or nine o'clock at night every day for two months. That's a grind. You have to. There's something about being able to push yourself through difficult situations. And that's all this process is, a process of, of dealing with truth or, you know, really peeling back the layers of yourself. It's a difficult process and it's a grind. And there's something about 
going through. People that do play sports have an understanding of this, even if it was at the high school level, like just training for, for the say, track, training for a track meet, the grind that goes through, then it's time to show up on, you know, meet day and you're there and, you know, you go through, whether you win, lose, or draw, you understand like, man, I went through this whole process for this thing and, um, and I did it. Um, I think if you, if you don't have an experience in your life that shows you or, or, um, identifies for you what it is to take a long time and a grind to get somewhere, then sometimes it's difficult to, to take in some of these concepts. You made the point of it takes a sustained effort, which it absolutely does. Yeah. And then you followed it up saying people don't know how to do that, to take a sustained effort. Let's, let's disagree about that. I mean, people, I think, right, people most certainly know how to put in a sustained effort. You just put it in. You know what to do, but they don't. Isn't it a choice? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree. I think, I think people don't know. They don't know because they don't have any experience doing it. You mean they don't know what to, to do or to put effort into? Meaning it's kind of like... Um, like, let's say you and I, we all know how to run, right? If somebody's like, all right, let's get into this 100-meter um, this dash, and you're going to race against Carl Lewis. Well, I mean, Carl Lewis, you know, he's old now, so I'm, I might be able to beat him. But <laughs> the old Carl Lewis, right? The 1990s Carl Lewis. Like, we know how to run, but to, to race against Carl Lewis and to win, that's not going to happen because we don't have any practice or any training. You have, there's some training. You have to train yourself to do these things. And so part of the training may be going through the process and stumbling and falling and, and getting back up. And it may, you know, that, that, so that's the part that, that people refuse to do that. I mean, it's possible. It's definitely possible. I'm just saying that I had the, sort of that background of of that, you know, medical school training, which is both physically and psychologically difficult. Um, and so when it came to this stuff, it's not that it was easy. It wasn't, but it was familiar. Like, oh, okay, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the ass. But I know about, you know, dealing with pain in the ass situations <laughs> because I've, you know, I've done it. Um, you know, I've done yeah. it over a sustained period. What has your time in the emergency room taught you most about people? Hmm. Taught me most about people. <laughs> I got like four or five things I'm thinking about. I'll give you one positive and one negative. Love it. Um, I think the positive is people genuinely um, want help. They want to be helped. Genuinely. They want to be helped. Um, and they don't always have the resources or the um, but financial or otherwise to, to get the help they need. So the emergency department is kind of a special place because we have to take care of everybody, no matter what your you know, bank account is. If you have zero on your bank account, if you got $10 million, it doesn't matter. That's part of our mandate. That's part of why emergency departments were created. Um, so we see everybody from little, little babies to elderly folk. 
And um, there's a lot of times when I can tell that, you know, people are there because they really, they really need help. And they're looking, they're looking, they're look, they're looking for that help. Um, and they're looking for, a lot of times they're looking for reassurance. That's a, I think that's probably a better, a better answer to the positive on that question. Um, that, you know, in, in dire situations, people often look for reassurance. I can say that like, they know, like a lot of times I have people tell me, I didn't think anything was wrong, but I just wanted to be sure, you know, just wanted to check. Um, so I think it goes back to our intuition is strong. We have, you know, we, that our intuition is a strong thing that needs to be paid more attention to. So it took me a while to get there, but I got mm-hmm. there. Um, and the negative is that <laughs> people will get over if you let them. <laughs> because, again, because the emergency department, we can turn no one away. People abuse the system. And I think that's that speaks to the, the, the sort of our lower nature where um, if something is free and accessible, they'll abuse it. I mean, I've seen people that will come in, you know, 10, 12 times in a month for, you know, pain. Sometimes they'll see a doctor that'll give them narcotics. Sometimes they see a doctor that won't. But they have an addiction and they don't have nothing else to do. So they just come to the emergency department and they abuse the system. Now, typically these are folks that don't have insurance. And so it's an abuse of the system because the hospital ends up bearing the brunt of that cost of, you know, the, the physician's time, the nurse's time, whatever materials are used in the care of that patient. Um, the hospital is not getting reimbursed for any of that. So, what have I learned? I, I'll just repeat the two: that our intuition as humans is, is is very strong, and we need to pay attention to it. And on the other side, that if uh, if there's an ability to 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 use and abuse something, that <laughs> humans will do it. <laughs> you know, un- yeah. unfortunately or unfortunately, the. The nature of my brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, was created because I spent the life uh, hiding behind fear, using that as the excuse for everything or Mm. not to do everything. Can you share a time in your life where fear was just prominent, stifling, overbearing, but you knew you had to get through it? Oh, yeah. That's an easy one. Um, uh, Second year medical school, there's an exam that you have to take at the end of the year. And it is only, this particular class is one exam. So if you think of eight months worth of material, one exam. Now the pressure comes because if you fail this exam, you have to do the entire year over and pay for the entire year again. And if you fail it a second time, they kick you out. But who wants to be in medical school for five years? I know I don't, so anyway. So it's a lot of pressure. So I just remember studying for this test and getting to a point where I was so inundated with feelings of anxiety that and fear that I literally could not read anymore like my eye would not pick up what was on the page and put it into my brain I I was it was the first time in my life I have ever experienced anything like that where I was literally stopped in my tracks tracks frozen in fear just sitting there I used to study in the law library a lot because it was a lot quieter and plus you know my classmates aren't there I could just really focus sitting in the law library with with 
three or four books open, just staring at it, and I was just literally paralyzed. So I think I, I remember I called my mom, talked to her a little bit, and um, how did I get out of it? I think, like, the next day I actually went and got, like, got some help, like, from uh, like psychologists, psychiatrists that was, for you know, for students. And uh, just talked to talked to them a little bit, and then um, they prescribed something for me, and I don't think I don't think I took I, I don't think I took it, <clears throat> but just a little bit of talk, and nah, I got through it. <laughs> I passed the test. Amazing. Looking yeah. looking back on a younger version of yourself, yeah. what advice would you give that person? The younger version of myself, um, I don't know. I I think my life went the way it had to go to bring me to where I am today. Um, I would just tell him, uh, it's going to get better. <laughs> That's what I would tell him. It's going to get better, but you're going to have to find out who you are and it's going to get better. But I wouldn't tell him anything like, I wouldn't tell him anything that that's going to like, uh, change his course or help him to avoid some pain or injury because it was all necessary. Like, you know, this is a school. I say it all the time. This, you know, life is a school. And uh, I, I didn't. I don't need to skip any of the grades. To just you know, it's a great it. analogy. Just go through it. Just I love that. It. Life is a school. Life is a don't school. skip those grades. No. And I also heard recently in in a similar vein that every interaction, every interaction we have as individuals, is purposeful and meaningful and deliberate. Yeah. If yeah, you have to see it that way. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? I do. Yeah, because it's happening. Go ahead. Meaning, if there was if there was no reason for it, it wouldn't happen. Hmm. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Yeah, I would say I'm spiritual. Yeah, were you were you raised any which way? It's sort of loosely Baptist. Okay. Yeah, we went to church every once in a while. My my, I would go with my grandparents. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the the music. In the Baptist Church, if you know anything about the Baptist Church, the the uh, the band, which is the chorus and piano, guitar, drums, uh, are often unrivaled and very soulful. What do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on Earth comes to an end? Um, well, it depends on how much you've developed. I think if you if you've developed to a certain place, like you know, if you get to Jesus Jesus level then you probably transition on to, uh, you know, the nirvana, heaven, whatever you want to call it. But uh, if you got more lessons to learn, you just come back and learn those lessons. I will leave you with this final question. Yeah. Seiku gathers. Yes. How would you like to be remembered? Uh, as a, a powerful, positive, creative force. I love it. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> before we part ways, yeah. um, paint this picture, the hidden entrepreneur. You are every bit of an entrepreneur. Yes. Before we went on the air, you were, you were rattling off. You have your hands in a variety of things and businesses, not only creatively, musically, um, podcastedly, and medically. Mm -hmm. What else is going on? Um, that's it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm doing, the, obviously I'm doing the podcast. I've got, um, some um, uh, pain management clinics I own with uh, the buddy of mine. 
Really? In terms of business, wow. um, I'm doing a, a, it's a medical device that I've been working on for about three years that I've got three three patents on that I just um, just started manufacturing. Wow. I'm starting to get some sales there. And um, also I've been finding at the pain clinic, a lot of people are having problems with sleep. So I've developed a, a sleep product with melatonin and CBD called uh, Sweet Dreams. So those are the, the business Ooh. things I'm sort of working on right now. What is that going to be? Is that like an over over, over the counter thing? Yeah, over the counter tablet. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a tablet. You're yeah. going tablet. Yeah, <laughs> tablet. Oh my god. And See, that's it's been selling decently well. Oh, it's already out. Yeah, yeah, it's out. So you have to deal with the uh, FDA and whatnot. No, 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 no. no. They had nothing, nothing to say. No, it's not. You, <laughs> it's not. It's uh both the the CBD and and the uh, melatonin that doesn't need FDA approval. Really? Yeah www.naturalrxsource.com is the site. That's your pill. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> this is, I mean, I, I could go on and on. I, I know, like I said at the top of the show, that you're just a, a plethora of fascination in, in my eyes. And uh, <laughs> thanks. Thank you for, uh, for doing you and for, uh, for showing up. I, I appreciate it. No problem. And uh, for all you hidden entrepreneurs out there, just uh, keep that dream alive. Don't let nobody don't 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 let don't let the naysayers get to you. Just remember remember to remember your vision. That's what I'll, I'll say at the end. Remember to remember your vision. We shall leave it there. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We're gonna do this again real soon. Until we do, go get it. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.